On episode 33 of this podcast, we talk with Tom Flynn about patriotism, remembering veterans, and preserving their stories through the avenue of 444 flags and the War on Terror Veterans Memorials in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. Harry Matrinko lights a flame that can be extinguished by only one person, Harry and Alice's son, Michael, now held hostage in Iran for 100 days. The 200th day of captivity for the American hostages in Iran. Day 300 of the hostages' captivity. Flag 367 is raised here at Hillcrest Memorial Park. Today marks the 400th day of the captivity of these courageous Americans. January 20th, 1981. One half hour after the inauguration of President Ronald Reagan, the hostages are set free. Just across Ohio's state line in Hermitage, Pennsylvania, is Hillcrest Memorial Park. In that park, there are 444 American flags flying, commemorating each of the days of the 1979 Iran hostage crisis. And now there is a monument to honor the military personnel who have given their lives fighting the war on terror from 1975 to the present. It's a heart-wrenching and sobering sight, and names are added weekly. The idea for this memorial really came out of the dedication of the World War II memorial. We really felt that we wanted to do something to memorialize these people now. It had to happen someplace. And if we have to wait 50 years for our government to do it in Washington, D.C., or 60 years, whatever it's going to be, I thought, what better place to do it than right here in the circle of flags? And in time, this, along with the flags, will be a very famous and historic place. Welcome, Tom Flynn, to our podcast today. Now, we are in Hermitage, PA. It's the first time we've ever recorded in this neck of the woods, north of Pittsburgh. Now, you are the president of America's Cemetery here in Hermitage. That is correct. And what do you do as president of the cemetery? Well, I've been here for 40 years, so I've probably done just about everything <laughs> along the way. I bet. Yeah. But, you know, basically, uh, it started out as a cemetery, and then... During the hostage crisis, we were the place that raised the flag for everyday America was held hostage. Now, you know, 99% of our younger audience will have no idea what you're talking about. So you want to explain that? We're going back to 1979. You certainly are. Uh, November the 4th of 1979, uh, Iranian students went over the wall of the American embassy in Tehran and took 66 Americans hostage. Some of them were let go, and but the net amount that stayed there for 444 days, there were 52 American hostages. And we started putting flags up on the 100th day, and uh, one of the hostage parents came in, and uh, the father raised the 100th flag. And then our commitment was that we would raise an additional one every day, which we did. And we started with one hostage family, and by the time we were finished, there were six hostage families that actually physically come out here. And these flags are still here, the 444 flags here on East State Street here in Hermitage. It's a wonderful facility you have here, beautiful grounds, the flags are spectacular, and you've maintained this for all these years. But you do more with veterans, and this is a great reason why you're on the podcast today to talk about, you know... You're honoring the veterans locally, but all veterans, but you are preserving the stories of veterans. You are keeping the stories here in your at your facility, the oral histories, your videos and so forth. But I don't want to I don't want to tell your story. You can tell your story. You're doing a much better job than I would. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing here 
to preserve the stories of veterans and honoring veterans through their stories? Well, that's really the key word is honoring. It's a rare privilege to be able to do that. I mean, one thing is being a veteran myself, but the other thing is, I guess when you're a veteran for the first time in your life and probably the last time in your life, you're really dealing with a duty on our country and specifically honor. And you don't in the normal course of things get to be too many honorable people. So what I try to do is to let them, just as you are, tell their stories. And we do that uh, video and audio, and we have a... Uh, foundation that really takes care of all that. Nothing we do is income producing. It's all uh, based on people supporting us so that we can tell these stories very similar to what you're doing. Do you want to talk about the foundation? Yes. Um, the hostages really were released in 1981, and we decided to keep the flags up. They were beautiful. They were the symbol of America held hostage. They had been on the cover of Time magazine. They were basically known all over the country and certainly parts of the world. In fact, we had 11 different countries come in here and interview us and attend the ceremonies during that period of time. So I certainly did not want to take the flags down. Probably my really gut thing was I didn't want anybody to forget what these Iranians had done to us. They had humbled us, and we had a president that went along and negotiated with hostage takers. And I did not want America to forget that. And now we're in the same situation now where we're paying for hostages, although they'll call it something else. But I was very angry then, and I'm very angry now. And uh, so that kept us going, kept the flags up. And so in 1990, I started a foundation called the Avenue of Flags Foundation. And we had a former hostage on the board. We had uh, the parents of one of the young men who was killed in the hostage rescue attempt and uh, other people. And uh, we've kept it going all these years. And it's in perpetuity. It is a foundation. It's totally tax deductible. And so we've done other things. I mean, we, we had the flags. And then we, in 2005, we built the War on Terror Veterans Memorial. And that contains the names of all the men and women who have died, military people, since 9-11. And we're somewhere near 7,000 right now. And we're also now, uh, we're just debuting it, but we have another foundation called WarOnTerror.org. And there we have created the virtual War on Terror Memorial. So if someone were just to go to WarOnTerror.org, click on Virtual Memorial, they would see the memorial, but they would also see our future plans. When all this was designed uh, by a firm called IKM in Pittsburgh, they called for Twin Towers. So now that that's up, people can not only see the memorial itself, but they can see the future. And I'm very excited about that because then we can be inclusive. We really want to get all Americans being aware of what is going on and uh, certainly having the Twin Towers in there, you know, helps that. And having this memorial really gives us pause to remember that this is our longest war in history, more than 15 years now, and there's no end in sight. Your memorial, I presume, will be adding names for, unfortunately, many years to come. So it's not a static thing. It's a monument that is here and now. It certainly recognizes those over the past 15 years who have lost their lives. 
here at the memorial, you have the capacity to add these names and uh, and the stories, right? You're making room for that in the structure of the monument. Yes, the memorial right now has twelve monuments. They each monument contains the names of ninety six hundred. In its totality, the twelve of them hold uh, seventy eight hundred names. We've already uh, built the all the foundational work for the next ring. All they have to do is take, we call them plugs, but it's just cement that we pull out of the ground. They've already been, all the foundations have been poured. And then we just come in and our monument is steel and glass. So then we just put the steel down, bolt it in, and then start adding glass panels. And we have our own etching machine. And we get our names from icasualties.org. So we have the capabilities uh, when we go online and there could be a, a name or several names added, we can simply input them into the computer and then etch them. So it is not unusual for us to have the names on the memorial before the bodies actually come back. So if you want to kind of in your mind's eye, think of the Vietnam Memorial in real time. Wow. That's interesting. It is, yeah. Really interesting. So when someone comes here and they see the beautiful grounds, they see the beautiful memorial, the names, you know, they'll know that there is more to those names. There's a, the biographies, the photographs, in, interesting information that is also in the virtual aspect of the memorial. And I imagine someone standing there can look right on their smartphone or device. And Right now, they... Uh it's just have been launched in the last week or so, the virtual version that's accessible through a laptop or a desktop because it's just so much, you know, so much content. But they can go in there and they can type in a name, view that name on the memorial. They can also view statistically what the Army has put up there or the, the, the branches of service have put up there. But we also, within a very short time, will be able to add the obituaries, the hometown newspaper, the photos. And then after that, family members and friends will get passwords. So we'll be able to control the input. And then that would be something that there, you know, would be passed on generationally. And, you know, instead of going out to a cemetery, which is what we are, that's why we think we're pretty good at this stuff. And we certainly, you know, know the importance of remembering. That's what cemeteries are really all about. But then that can stay in the family and people can link to it. You can do gene genealogy off of it. They can edit. The family can, yes. The family can the family edit. Can. Wow. This is, yeah. So uh, this is not only a static memorial, it's a virtual memorial and it's interactive as well. You're exactly right. Wow, you guys are uh, cutting edge here, Tom. I mean, really impressed with this. I mean, no kidding. This Thank is you. really amazing. Well, I surround myself with a bunch of young people. That's why. <laughs> people who know that stuff. That's right. <laughs> I don't have a clue. I just say, can we do that? What else can we do? <laughs> well, that's the mark of a good leader. That's why you're the president of the place. You know what has to get done and you get it done. Uh, I'm a delegator. <laughs> delegator. <laughs> say what you want about me, but I'm a delegator. And I was a PFC, so that's pretty good for a private first class to be out there delegating. You were airborne in the Army, correct? Mm, yes, I was. Tell us a little bit about that story. Well, uh, I was going to college. I was at Loyola University, and I completed my first year, and I ran out of money. 
So I had to take a semester off and uh, I was carrying furniture and my draft board sent me my greetings letter and off I went. What year is this, Tom? Uh, it was 1958. I took the airborne physical. I had no intention on jumping out of airplanes. Took the physical on a bet. And then uh, I wound up representing a couple of guys that had you know, uh, enlisted, so they'd gone an extra year so they could go airborne, and they asked if I, because I was so well-educated at a year of college, and compared to these guys, I was like a Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> so I went down and uh, talked to some personnel guy, and he said, well, what about you, PFC Flynn? And it was that crossroads in my life. I thought, well, I'm not in college anymore, you know, I'm kind of drifting, and I got to get it all back together again. I need discipline. Remember that? <laughs> Your coaches and things, you need discipline. So I went airborne and uh, it really, it, it, it changed my life. I think it really, it gave me that, but it also gave us a lot of pride, a lot of pride, you know, very unique situation. And uh, so I was in two years and came out and uh, wound up repossessing cars for six months. That was my combat tour <laughs> in the south side of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, you're not from here. You are from no, Chicago. I'm born and raised uh, in Chicago. Lifelong Cub fan. <laughs> That's a good time for me. <laughs> well, I have to just say that you were in the 101st Airborne. That is correct. The famous 101st Airborne. When Band of Brothers came out, I went in and uh, you know, here it was uh, Company 506. And it turned out 14 years after they made history, there I was, you know, part of that. They had museums on the base and everything. It was probably the most famous military outfit coming out of the Second World War. So you had a real sense of pride while you were serving in the unit of its historicity, its accomplishments. You were obviously well-trained. It's a fairly elite force. Very much so. And that carried with you when you got out oh, yeah. possessing cars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> were you a badass car? I was a big badass. <laughs> Yeah. And my background is I had been in the seminary, you know, in high school and everything. So I went from studying to be a priest to jumping out of planes to repossessing cars. So I kind of went over to that. Tom, the, your story gets more interesting every time I talk to you. <laughs> you were studying to be a priest. Yeah. Uh, wow. Then the college, the airborne and the, uh, car repossessor. and. Mm -hmm. Wow. Interesting. That, but you, this was in Chicago, right? When you oh, went, yeah. went back to Chicago. Back to Chicago. And then I graduated from Loyola University. And then I graduated with a degree in accounting. And then I became a CPA. And I wound up in the tax department of what was then the largest CPA firm in the country. Did a couple of years in there. But I realized that I really didn't play well with other children. It was kind of all the, my, my lifelong story. So I went and started my own firm. And then uh, I was looking at different investments, and the one that popped was a cemetery. So without any knowledge or anything else like that, other than numbers and taxes, uh, I got in the cemetery business. We will return shortly to our conversation with Tom Flynn, Army veteran of the 101st Airborne Division and president of America's Cemetery in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. You are listening to episode 33 of Veteran Voices, the Oral History Podcast, a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. Don't miss an episode of our many podcasts related to veteran stories and local history. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a helpful review 
You can also subscribe to our podcast with Android and through email. To learn more about us and to access our other podcasts and online collection of veteran stories, visit our website, veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com. That's veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com and click on the Social Voice Podcast Network. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. Let's return now to our conversation with Tom Flynn, whose memorials in Hermitage, Pennsylvania, have appeared on the cover of Time Magazine and the 100th episode of Oliver North's television show, War Stories. I was kind of going along, and I was a, you know, relatively decent business guy, and then when they took the embassy, I... uh, really flipped. And I remember being with my children. We were skiing and my boys were 11 and 13 and we're on top of a mountain and I'm harping about these Iranians and, you know, and it's been 80 days. And I'm looking into the eyes of an 11-year-old kid trying to explain 80 days and my accountant mind said, well, gee, if there was just a way that we could keep score. So I wound up putting one flag up and 50 state flags around it because they thought there were 50 hostages at the time. And uh, in Youngstown, a TV reporter called me. And this was now like day 85, day 90. And she said, what are you going to do for the 100th day? And in a millisecond, I knew exactly what I was going to do because I just put these other flags up. And I thought I'm going to put up 100 and I'm going to do one every day. I'm going to keep score. I'm an accountant. I'm going to keep score. And there was a local tubing mill that gave me the flags free. We bury people. So the veterans, there's the veteran flag. And so we made 101 phone calls and got 100 flags. And then what I needed was uh, people out front. So my dad had been a steel worker. So I went to the steel workers union. I told him I needed six of the ugliest steel workers that he had, I said, you know, basically the gorilla type, I want the beard, I want the steeler's hat, I want all this. And his name was John Dillinger, and he was the nephew of the John Dillinger, the gangster. Wow. So he starts coming out around the desk to wring my neck, and I said to him, by the way, John, did I ever tell you what my father did for a living? And just as he was reaching for my throat, he said, What'd your father do? And I said, he was a steel worker. I said, and back in the day when they had their pin underneath their lapel, and he turned around and walked back behind his desk, and he said, how many of those gorillas did you need? So I told him, and next morning, I mean, it was like casting call. I mean, you couldn't see a group of bigger, uglier, hairier, bulky guys with steeler hats on. So when the media came in, it was like that was our cast and do nothing about what we were doing and everything. The key to our success was we we had no idea what was happening to us. So we just kept our eye on the ball and went forward with it when the hostage family came in. I mean, that's what really put us on the map. And then we became the image. So when you'd look at the Today Show every day, it was the Avenue of Flags. This is day 222, the next one, 223. And uh, we became the symbol. You were nationally recognized on the cover of Time magazine, on television. Oh, yeah. Hermitage here must have been for a loop because it's a relatively small town. It is. And it had a a name change two years before that had been. It was Hickory and changed the name to Hermitage because I was from Chicago. 
Uh, I didn't know honestly what its name was. I thought it was Sharon, Pennsylvania, which is the really the named city around here. So we were, but we, you know, we. I moved here, and my son is here. He's the fire marshal in town now, and my grandchildren and all that. So it's really been nice coming off out of Chicago. It's kind of a wild area these days to this really genteel area. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the people. They're all blue collar, which is exactly the way I was raised. And I just felt very comfortable here. And the veteran community around here is awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of local interest and national or international interest that you get. Visitors from, from all over coming, stopping by, seeing the memorial, talking to you? Well, there's a lot of people coming in to see the memorial. I mean, I'm not here every day. That's why I can kind of do some other things, you know, and, you know, which is really all the storytelling and the virtual memorial. But they do stop by. People come here. You can get here. State signs take you right to the front door. You know, it's been a long time, but people remember. And then we have a really nice website, which is americascemetery.com. And that gets you in here and that shows you all the flags and all the activities and the veterans from the very beginning were standing behind me. When we announced we were going to put up 100 flags, I had like 13 veterans standing behind me representing the American Legion, the VFW, the DAV, Red Cross. So the director of Veterans Affairs set it all up for me. And they didn't hold the fact that I was from Chicago <laughs> and a Bear fan rather than a Steeler fan. They, uh, they didn't hold that against me. They were They were very nice about everything. And I've just kind of been cradled in the bosom of all the veterans uh, ever since because it is a tremendous honor. I mean, from the time I was a little boy, I mean, I've always, I loved the military. I didn't want to go into it. And uh, one of the happiest days of my life is when I got out of it. But that didn't, you know, restrain my love of all things military. That can be a complicated story. I mean, there are civilians out there, people who have never served, who are deeply supportive of military and veterans and their issues and willing to help out, contribute to causes and so forth. And there are veterans who, you know, they went through the motions and they put that part of their lives behind them. So the, the whole relationship with veterans runs a gamut, you know, uh, from right to left. What are some of the reactions that you get from the people who come here? Do they thank you for what you've done? Do they share their stories with you? You know, what is their impression of the memorial? It's really a series of wows. A series of wows. A series of wows. They can't believe it when they actually get in here and see it. Yeah. I added mine today. Yes, my, thank you. My wow today. Yeah. Thank you. And we, I look for them. I look for them. If I don't get them, I say, are you paying attention? <laughs> I put two or three out there myself. And we'll, we'll do the double wows and the and triple was, wows. It was Brian, our associate producer, running the boards, uh, chiming in there. Yeah. <laughs> but I fully expect that. And when you see it, you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And when you go on the virtual wall and see what's coming, you know, this uh, we will have a replica of the Twin Towers here, and that will also be lettered. And you will have all of those names, and each of those names will be searchable. And we will approach the New York Times, who did small biographies of each person that, that died, you know, hundreds of pages, hundreds and hundreds of pages over a period of time. And we'll go to them and ask them for that so that we can put not only a name on there, but a face, a family, 
where they worked. And that will also be the same way where they can get passwords. Family members can come in so people can add their stories. So it, it just will go on and on. In time, we, and you asked the question in the beginning about having other incidents that happen in, the, let's say, Fort Hood. Well, those were all military and they were killed, you know, by a terrorist and their names will also be added. So it will basically be anyone who was killed, an American killed by an act of terror, and they will be remembered and their families will be able to access their information and add to it. That's the wonderful thing about it, you know, for a guy who grew up listening to the radio that now it's surrounded by all these young people, they can just do all of this and it just gets better and better each time and the quality of the things that you can do. And I know that you know, with our virtual now and, and, and going through our contributors and everything, we need to put money aside to guarantee that we have the latest and greatest updates so that whatever is we're doing with 3D, you know, it's not quite there as the young man who put this together for me said, you know, 3D is not quite there yet. And he said, we're getting close. And so we will constantly be upgrading to where the point where you and you come on in a virtual way, you won't know the difference than if you're actually looking at a, at a movie or something like that or film of it. And that raises what I think is a, a central point when we consider monuments and memorials in these places of dedication. You know, they have to be maintained. You know, it's one thing to you know, put up a, a granite uh, piece with mm. names on it. You know, take, for example, uh, any cemetery that has been unkempt. I mean, you look at a tombstone and it's defaced or you, what a tragedy that is not to have those memorials, those monuments, those, you know, well-intentioned objects of memory to uh, have gone into disrepair or neglect. And so it sounds that you are putting a lot of careful thought and a lot of resources into Building the memorial here, but also maintaining for the future, because it's just that important. It is. And, you know, it's also, I mean, it's all insured. We don't take anything for granted. We try to figure out, you know, the good things that can happen and also the bad things. And the idea that number one is the cemetery. Cemeteries do not go away. Number two, it's all run under a foundation and foundations do not go away. And we gave the land that the monument is on in the circle of flags, we gave all of that to the foundation. So I don't own it anymore. I don't own it. I'm just a board member. What is it that you want people to get out of a visit, either physically or to uh, the memorial online? What is the essential takeaway for you for a visitor? Say a young person who does 